This is Technically Legal, the podcast of the legal technology and innovation in the legal industry. I'm Chad Main, the founder of Legal Services Company Percipient, and on today's show, I'm in conversation with law practice management consultant and design thinker Catherine Porter. She's the founder of The Resourceful Lawyer. On today's episode, I have a conversation with Catherine Porter. We talk about her journey from practicing law to founding her own company, The Resourceful Lawyer. That's a consultancy that helps lawyers implement legal project management techniques into their legal work. Catherine and I discuss her unique approach to problem solving in the legal field, which involves design thinking and project management principles. During our conversation, Catherine explains the importance of lawyers understanding client needs, the process of workflow mapping, and she also discusses the challenges of implementing new processes in law firms. Catherine also emphasizes that empathy and understanding the client journey is a must when designing effective legal services. And you want to stay tuned to the end of the podcast because Catherine offers some real-world tips about where to begin working project management principles into legal practice. So I was messing around your website, get ready for today, and you have a reference there to the Thomas Guide, and that really brought me back because when I got out of law school and studying for the bar, I moved to LA and I was delivering food, and you got to buy a Thomas Guide because. And I had never seen anything like that. And for those who don't know what it is, it's this huge spiral brown book of, I don't know, hundreds of pages, right? And each page of that is just a, a small portion of the LA metro area. So yeah, that, that brought back memories. Um, tell me about the reference and why you included it on your website, other than the fact you said that you're not so great with directions. Yeah, I could literally get lost coming out of a hair bag. Yeah, it was more that I just, I've always been the resource person, like the one that knows where to go to find the information, you know, and, and I think as lawyers too, I, I, you know, a lot of times it's, it's not just about whether what we know, it's about being able to find out what we don't know or and learn. And so the reference to the Thomas guy is like just showing, you know, it's, it's just something I've always done is find the right resources to give you the information so you can do what you need to do. So you were a lawyer before you launched Resourceful Lawyer, your current company. You were a lawyer for what, 10-ish years about that or a little or more? No more. I graduated from law school in 2000. Okay. So you launched Resourceful Lawyer about 2017, 2018? 2019. It's been through a few iterations, (laughs) but yeah. So almost 20 years. And what drew you to the law in the first place? Well, this is always a funny story because uh, I didn't really think a lot about being a lawyer. I I was with a friend and she had just finished her first year of law school. And I I was a teacher at the time. And I was like, oh, that kind of sounds like fun. (laughs) So I said, if I take the LSAT and I get a good enough score to go to a good law school, I'll go. So I did, and I did. So I ended up in law school, and and it was fun. I mean, that's my ideal job, really, would be someone to pay me to go to school. That's interesting. You did find it fun. I have a similar story. I was, see, I was late in my senior year in college, and one of my buddies said, you know, you should go to law school. I said, huh? All right. I never literally thought about going until it was probably March. So that, that is it. I had a good time in law school, too. I, re- I really did it, really did enjoy it. So you practice for a long time. You have, you're doing litigation now, and you were doing that before. You launched the Resourceful Lawyer, and one of the main things that the Resourceful Lawyer provides is project management consultation for law firms, right? Correct. Twofold question here: Why did you make the jump? And if you want to get in project management, why didn't you try to get an LPM job in a in a big law firm or go in house and be a project manager there? What was it about? having your own practice and being a consultant that drew you to that? Well, I made the jump, actually. Like I said, the, my company business has gone through a couple of iterations. And 
you know, I was still struggling to get traction. I was doing some freelance legal work, which I still do for other, where I work with other law firms through a platform um, that coordinates it all. So we, and I ended up working on this case that had over 300 plaintiffs. So it was a mass tort case. And I came on and I was, I just really saw the need for some sort of project management. And I used a tool, ClickUp at the time, and I still use it. And I set it up for them and I started managing the matter, the case. That was the most fun I'd ever had practicing law. So I think back and I'm like, yeah, I see that trajectory. Like I've always been interested in how things are done as much as what gets done and how to make it better. So the process improvement, that's always been something I've enjoyed doing. And thinking like strategically and big picture, everything, you know, and then tracking stuff and just making sure everything's going, you know, according to what we all expected to do and don't miss things. So, and it just so, in other words, I was project managing. I just didn't know I was project managing, you know. And then, so then when I, so it was to everything, when I had that one opportunity, it just sort of came together and I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. And, you know, I'd already had this company, so I was already in the, in the entrepreneurial space, and it just felt really good, and I liked it. Kind of addicted to working on my own schedule. Right. So <laughs> I think that, I mean, I wouldn't be averse to finding a legal project management job at a, at a law firm, but right now I'm just enjoying having my own business and being my own boss and being able to really help a lot of different people, too. And at that point, if I recall correctly, you have a project management certification, right? Did you have it at the time, or is it something that came afterwards? You said, hey, I like this stuff. I might as well pursue it. When I left the firm that I was with for so many years, I actually went to a consulting firm in a related field, and they had a lot of project managers, and they were like saying, hey, you should you know, get your PMP certificate. And, and I, I started the program, and it's a long story, but anyway, I ended up leaving that company, so... I put it kind of on the back burner. And then when I did this, I was like, okay, I really should go back and get my PMP, finish the coursework. It was nice because I didn't, they changed the requirements. The test was a little different. And I think it was less about memorization and more about how you would solve problems. So I sat for the exam and I took the PMP certificate of like, what, it's been like a little over a year ago or two years. I can't remember now, but yeah. Who were the clients, your clients? So be attorneys, law firms. Who are the ones best suited for your work? What's your sweet spot? I think there's a couple of things that I look for, people that I look for is, is a lot of times it's either uh, like mass tort where it's a, a volume type of practice. Uh, so either it's a lot of parties, like multiple parties in one matter or how many other matters there are, they're complex that way, or it's a high volume practice where the matters are very sequential and very similar. So like Lemon Law, you know, it kind of all goes through every every step is just sort of already, you know, planned out and cases go in a certain order. And those high volume, whether it's complex with multi-parties or just one parties, but a lot of them. So I have this Lemon Law that I've done and then also an IP practice where she had uh, two or 300 marks that she was then. And that one, especially, there's a lot of waiting around while like, you submit the application so, and yeah, and then you just wait, you have to keep checking. So that was a big part of the what I was managing is making sure those check-ins were happening on a regular basis. Let's talk about the process. So if a law firm or an attorney hires you, what's the workflow? I assume you map the, what their existing process is and then kind of clean it up or what are the steps? Well, the first thing I do is exactly what you said, the workflow mapping, because I think it's it's really important. And I know they didn't teach that to me in law school and 
I know the first time I saw someone doing it, I was like, I thought, I'm like, wow, this is, you know, I don't know a single lawyer who takes the time to do this <laughs> or anyone really that takes right. the time to do this, but it's so, so helpful. And so, so yeah, so that's the first step is to figure out, to map out workflows. And how is that done? When you sit down with the client and do a graphical, there's symbols and certain, you know, elements to it. It's, it's, it's a graphical thing, but so how do you do that? Is that the end game is that you have this graphical visualization of the legal work? Yeah. Well, I think the, the key thing is, you know, we can make these pretty workflow maps and, and I do like doing them visually, either using a, a cloud-based tool or, you know, post-it notes and on the whiteboard with markers is, is probably even easier. And, but of course, everything's remote. So the collaboration cloud tools are more versatile that way. But yeah, it's, and I, I, you know, these pretty maps are wonderful, but no one is going to sit there and be like, oh, we just got served with discovery. Let me go pull up the map. Right. For that, right? right? So you have to implement it somehow. And whether that is through a tool like ClickUp or Asana or those other project management tools, you can even do a little bit of it through Clio and Outlook if you want to just really minimize the number of apps you have. So you can find a way to implement it that's helpful, whatever's easier and faster makes sense for the particular client. How is project management utilized in project management concepts throughout the life cycle of a legal bet? Well, I think, you, and we're all used to managing our cases, right? And so it's just putting that into the process and implement so you see what's up. It could look like daily check-ins or, you know, it really lays out a good workflow map that's implemented in a tool, lays out what you need to do each day. And if you have an outside project manager or someone like me, then I'm also checking to make sure that workflows are balanced, that the deadlines are, drafts are being reviewed, if that's a step that needs to get done, uh, and, and really watching out for bottlenecks and seeing if we need to shift things around or provide more support to the managing attorney or somebody, wherever the bottleneck is, to figure out what we can do to, to reduce that bottleneck. So you just kind of always in the weeds and seeing how things are going, where the shortfalls are and what's working, what's not working. And it's, it's a constant iteration of the approach too. When we come back, Catherine tells us how she applies design thinking principles to legal practice. And she also tells us about techniques she uses to convince legal teams to work in project management ideas into their workflows. I'm Chad Main, and this is Technically Legal. This podcast is brought to you by Percipient, a legal services company powered by technology. Percipient helps legal teams tackle legal operations, electronic document review, and process automation. Percipient services include managed document review, subpoena compliance, cyber incident response, and also helps legal teams provide clients with process-driven legal support. To learn more, visit percipient.co. Percipient. Legal services powered by technology. All right, we'll get back to my conversation with Catherine Porter of The Resourceful Lawyer in just a second. But before we do, like I always do, I want to let you know if you go to tlpodcast.com, there's an episode page for this episode and every other episode we've done. On those pages, you'll find more information about our guests and links to a lot of the stuff we talk about. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at cmain at percipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. Or you can find me on X or LinkedIn. All right, let's get back to my conversation with the resourceful lawyer, Catherine Porter. Another service I saw you provide, the application design thinking to legal practices. Yes. So how did you get started in that? That was my a significant other that I was at, with at the time. And he was talking about it, and I just thought it was just so, so interesting. And then I actually learned about this book called Designing Your Life, and I went to the workshop, which is all based on design thinking, 
but it's applied to your own. It's really geared towards finding your career. So I went to a workshop on designing your life for, for women, and it was just so just like I just kept getting all this information. And once you, you know, once things start coming at you, you just feel like, oh my gosh, this is so such a game changer. And I think the big thing for the practice of law, we are client centered, right? And I think the days of I'm the lawyer, I'm the expert are long gone. And we don't like to think so, I think, but but it is. And so it really helps you turn around and think about your processes and your touch points and in terms of the client and making sure you're meeting their needs. Uh, And because I think that a lot of times as lawyers, we think we know what the client wants and needs, but maybe we don't. You know, maybe they actually, they're looking for a different type of outcome. We should probably take a second to talk about what design thinking is. And you've, you've, on your website, and I'll put links to this on the episode page, you've got a kind of a, looks like five-step process. It starts with empathy for everyone interacting with the design. There's a human element. You got to define what the problem is. Then you ideate around the way to solve the problem. And then you prototype a possible solution, and then you test the design with users. So, you know, and you mentioned, I think in the same article, you mentioned that the design firm out in, I think it's Bay Area, IDEO. And there's a great book about them called The Art of Innovation. But the way they use design thinking, they'll, they may help make a lot of products, but they'll actually talk to people about the potential, like what the products can look like. Then they prototype and then you go back to these people and they test out and stuff. So that makes sense when it's a product like that. So how, how do we apply that to law? Because there's no widget. There's no physical item that, right. that can be tested like that. I think we, we do have clients. We do have humans that we interact with. And so we want to make sure we're understanding their needs and that's the empathy piece. And so I think it's, you're also, you can deliver a service in a way that is more client-centered and really understanding their client journey. They're still interacting with you. There's still different things. I mean, you might have more control over what's being produced, but you know, I think of it as like, I, I've seen references to this before. It's almost like a theater and thinking about the service, you know, the partners, maybe they're the face, they're on the stage, right? The client's the audience, they're on the stage. They're doing their thing, but what's happening behind them and in rehearsals and all the technical details that helps them have that positive interaction with the client. So it's not just the clients, but it's also thinking about your staff and support staff, associates, whoever you have, and making sure that they have what they need to do their job right. And again, you might not even think about what they need. It's not, you just assume they're, they know what they're doing and, and they should hopefully know what they're doing. So you're thinking about it in terms of everyone. So that, that, and that includes the people who are helping you deliver that service to the client. It is part of this, both of this word, the project management, obviously, and as the design thinking, you have another definition that I'd really thought through, you know, we always talk about having legal projects, but, and I never really thought about project having a defined set of characteristics. And yet, you got another article about this on your website, too. You say, a project is a temporary endeavor with a beginning and an end. It's different from routine business operations. It has its own budget and schedule and team, and it's concluded once the goal is achieved. So when I read that, the thing that stuck out to me is, how is a project, under this definition, different than a business routine? Because in my mind, you know, if, if you hire a lawyer to litigate a case for you, representing you in court, you sue somebody, you got the stages, you got filing the complaint, you got discovery, you've got the trial, and, you got, and then you got the post-trial stuff. So it, it seems to me that those are routine things that are part of a lawyer's business. But what's the distinction there? 
Well, this distinction is that all of like what you've just described, that's one matter. So you, the project is that matter and it has a beginning and an end. So with the pieces within it might be routine operations and that that would be where, you know, mapping out your workflows would apply to the, the subsets. So those might be routines, but overall the project is the case or the, the matter, the transaction. And when the deal closes or the trial's over and the appeals are over, whatever, then then that's done. And so you can have tasks and routines within that, but the actual matter is the project because it has the beginning and the end. Uh, you know, routines are, means like sending out invoices every month. That's So the true business stuff, the back right. office business exactly. stuff, you're drawing a distinction there. Yeah. Yeah. So these are concepts, as you've already alluded to, that, you know, you don't just get your case in the door and map out what you're going to do in a cool, you know, cool graphic document. So what have you found that works to get lawyers to start thinking this way and change how they do their work and to implement these processes? That's always a tough one. There's always the resistance. I, I have a nice position because if they're coming to me, they're already, you know, right. Like they're already pre-qualified, so to speak, right? To think that way. But that doesn't mean that all their coworkers are on board with it, right? I think every profession thinks their profession is the most resistant to change. <laughs> but I don't know. I think there yeah. <laughs> a lot of people in general are just resistant to change. And I think right. either the the one of the key things is to invite them into the process. And get people involved in the workflow mapping. One of the other key elements to handling the resistance is really anchoring it and solving a particular problem. What's keeping you up at night? What's really not working for you? Let's figure out a way to solve that particular problem. And then they see, okay, this is helping that. And it's, you know, anchoring it in those pain points at first is really helpful. I think it helps people see the value really quickly. And, you know, start small and then kind of grow, grow, grow. And eventually you're going to, people will generally see the the benefit. I know this one client I had, it was a one of the partners. He wasn't resistant to it necessarily, but he was a, like, we used this, you know, system, this platform. And he was always afraid to go in there because he thought he was going to break it. And I, I was like, you can't break it. I can restore pretty much anything you do as the admin, you know. And, and so we did some workarounds for him to kind of like... In, in, Drawing on my teacher background, we call that scaffolding, right? When you when you present a new concept to a classroom with kids, you you know you you provide the structure underneath it to help them get to the whatever goal you want them, whatever you really want them to learn. But you might need to scaffold it at first to get them to help them get there, provide that structure. So it's the same thing. I don't care if they're you're teaching forty year olds or four year olds. It's still you know some of them need to just need that extra support to get fully comfortable with the concepts. And then eventually, hopefully you can, in the mixing my metaphors here, you can take the training wheels off and and hopefully they're, they're there. So as I close out episodes, a lot of times I like to ask practical questions. And so my question to you is, and you've already kind of started to, to answer it is, if you got a lawyer starting to think about how to streamline their processes, how to improve their processes, how to think about this design thinking, what's the first step? What is a concrete thing that a lawyer or any legal professional or a paralegal or the support staff, they can do to start thinking about how to change the processes within their organization. Well, like like you said, I talked about mapping and I think it's, so I think mapping processes is good. I also think, especially for lawyers and service professionals, I feel like having an understanding of the client journey, which is a, can be another map, client journey mapping. And that's, 
the empathy part of design thinking. And the, and so I think that's really the the place to start, whether you're doing project management, you know, workflow map or customer journey mapping, you start with the people involved and figure out what do they need? What are the sticking points and how can I address those? And so, you know, I, it, with workflow mapping, I always advise thinking about those things that you're constantly getting the same questions over and over and over about. And there are things that are just, you know, causing you the interruptions to your day and how can you reduce, reduce that? And, you know, the one thing with design thinking and human-centered design is it's focused on defining the problem. It's more important to do problem finding than problem solving. So making sure you're really hitting the the needs, that you're understanding and defining that need correctly. I always like the example of a chair. You know, if you tell people, okay, design a chair, again, that's a physical product, but it translates to service, but you're going to get a bunch of chairs. But if you say, you know, de- design a, a device or a piece of furniture that will allow me to take the weight off of my legs and, you know, rest or something. And then, you know, you're, you might get a hammer. Because that's the problem, right? What, right. That's the purpose or the problem is I'm tired. I want to sit down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm tired. I want to sit down. Yeah. And so, you know, that could get you a hammock. That could get you a stool. That could get you a couch. It's not just going to get you chairs, right? So I think that that's how defining the problem makes like, such an impact. Well, Catherine, I appreciate your time today. If people want to get a hold of you, learn more about your practice, where do you want to send them? Yeah, uh, the best way if you want to contact me is Catherine at the resourcefullawyer.com. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn, and it's uh, K Porter JD is my username. There are a few Catherine Porters out there in the world. So. <laughs> <laughs> Add the JD. Add the yeah. JD. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Catherine. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. This has been great. Okay, that's a wrap for today's episode. As always, we really appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on most major podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, etc. Also, if you like us enough, I hope you leave us a favorable review. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, this has been Technically Legal.